Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Soul Survivor podcast. What an insane episode to start off Survivor 40 Winners at War. I'm your host, Dylan Bird, along with my co-host, Jordan Heffler. Come on in, guys! And along with my other co-host, Ryan Winthrop. I'm telling you right now, we are never playing poker ever outside. <laughs> ever. Yeah, what what a what an absolutely crazy um, two-hour premiere of you know something we've been waiting for for month, uh, probably around a year at this point. Um, we knew it was coming, and basically the way these podcasts work, if you listen to us in season thirty-nine, um, what we do for each recap episode is we run through um, basically how the entire episode went moment by moment, and then we give our thoughts as we go, and then at the end we will give our thoughts on what we think could happen going forward. And let's hop right into it here. So let's start talking about the intro scene, which if you had watched the pre- uh, preview that aired last week in the special, you had already seen these first few minutes. But it was a pretty amazing intro scene, and I did have chills watching it for sure. Yeah, no, I, as a fan, I've been waiting for this season for years, even before we heard the rumors. And just to see... Ethan, Amber, and Parvati, one of the first three confessionals on my TV screen again, was just insane to watch and just pulling up to the beach all together. Just seeing the 20 winners all together again, I had literal chills as well. I'll tell you, it was just unreal. And I had already seen the video of the preview, but just watching those first few minutes, I had tangible goosebumps on on my entire body. Every single player was eyeing into the soul of everybody else. Everybody was so intimidated, and you could really see it. It was just incredible to see. It, it's really crazy to think about, like, almost when all those guys lined, when everybody lined up on the mat, all the contestants, all the memories from all those seasons just all come back at once. And it's like, even Jeff needs to step back and be like, wow, let me take this in for a second. And that's really how it felt watching from the audience also. And, you know, they had their thing where, you know, they had a few questions from Jeff. They did the toast. Uh, Jeff said something that sounded like it was an Australian accent, maybe from Mark Burnett, one of the producers. I don't really know. But one of the first confessionals we did have on this season was Sandra saying that she felt betrayed by Rob for Rob keeping it a secret during Island of the Idols that he was playing again. Apparently, he kept saying, I'm never playing again. I'm never playing again. And Sandra obviously learned when they when the boat came up that that was not true. Yeah, I mean, at first, Dylan, I did think it was kind of just for show or just kind of for the airtime. I was like, I don't know why Sandra feels betrayed about this. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But then when you think about it, it was brought up a lot in this episode a lot that outside connections are a huge part of the season. So not only did Rob and Sandra spend 36 days together on Island of Idols, they're friends outside this game. So I can see in a way where Sandra's coming from that, you know, this is her actual friend. And in all that time in IOI wasn't really game. It was just being with a friend. And the fact that a friend didn't tell her that, I could see why she's a little bit betrayed. I think in terms of that, I think that Rob actually missed a hu- what was a huge opportunity here. Um, mm-hmm. He was with Sandra for 36 days, and he knew that he was going to have a huge target on his back coming in. He could have fortified an alliance on Islands of the Idols, you know, knowing that Sandra was playing. I think it really was, knowing that him and Amber were going to have two huge targets on their back, I don't think it was a smart move of him just completely not to say anything. It seems very unlike Boston Rob, and I'm pretty su- surprised he did that. Yeah. Um, but to move on, obviously they have the champagne toast, as I mentioned before. It's announced that they're paying for playing for $2 million, which we heard, had heard already. 
Edge of Extinction's back. Fire tokens, the new twist in the game that we had explained in one of our previous podcasts. Um, obviously, there's a lot to talk about that later. And the opening challenge was something that we had all hoped to see in previous seasons where there have been a lot of returnees like Heroes, Villains, and others. There have been very, very physical first challenge, and, and that's exactly what happened here. It was unreal. It's my favorite challenge I've ever seen in Survivor. It's my favorite archetypal challenge where the tribes are physically going at it, trying to completely knock each other, knock each other out, throwing punches, being extremely physical. And this is the best I've ever seen of that. Just all dogs swimming around in the water, completely killing each other. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was a war. When it was at war, and it was an actual war. They've actually done this challenge before. It was the opening challenge of uh, 26, Karamoan, Fans versus Favorites 2. So That's I know... That's incredible recall. Thank you. I know on Twitter, um, our uh, podcast tweeted out, Dylan pointed out correctly that Heroes versus Villains had a similar type of challenge in the sand on the beach where they were wrestling for a bag. So it was, again, a very physical first challenge to get everybody hyped up. But, you know, this one being in the water, like with 26, it was also just a really intense challenge. I thought that, honestly, the challenge could go either way. I didn't go into it saying uh, red or blue. I'm still learning the names. Red or blue is going to win this challenge. Yeah, and there's really, not, there's really um, in terms of this, this first challenge, what made it so special also is that Jeff announced right there, this is not only for reward, this is for immunity also. So yeah. all of a sudden, like the game first, they jumped right into it right there. And then when, the, when after... Um, the blue team had lost, the red team had won. So Jeff announced that Tribal was going to be the day after, not that night, which was definitely a big help to everybody on the blue tribe. Um, and, you know, they, they were able to go back to camp and you would think uh, kind of just maybe chill out for a few seconds, but people jumped into strategy right away. And as you saw, Adam and Denise quickly were on the outs as they went to actually find the water well and got lost and ended up just being gone for way too long that people l looked like they were going to turn against them. Do you think they actually got lost, or do you think that was all just a show to cover up their story? I legitimately think they got lost. They probably did go to find the water ball, and they did make an alliance on the way, which Adam pointed out, but they probably did get lost. And this is something that people bring up all the time, where people always argue, you need uh, strategy, you need social, you need strength to win this game. Do you really need luck? Is luck a big factor? Because Russell Hance believes that luck isn't really a factor, but... You know, Tom Westman always says luck is a huge point. And you can just happen to walk out of camp for a few seconds and you're on the outs. Like, it really is luck is a big factor as well. I think I, I think that it is possible they got lost just because I can't see, like like Jeremy said, it is very rookie move to yeah. go running running off and just disappear for a while on the first day. You know, and you see that with new player seasons where there's always that one guy or two people who do it. And I just can't see people, you know, like, I can't see winners doing that. So, I mean, look, maybe they did. Maybe they did it just to cover them up. But they were on the outs right away. And then we had a moment where Danny, who a lot of people probably don't remember well or haven't even seen that are watching this season, um, she's throwing Rob's name out saying he could be a huge threat because Amber's on it. And then we have complete chaos at, at camp and everyone's scrambling right away. It was really, really cool scene up and through Tribal Council. I'm just going to say, and like um, you guys pointed out before the podcast, the new players that will get into this, the new players seemed a little bit out of their element. But I just got to point out, we saw in the first half of the first episode of the season, Boss and Rob already got somebody in Ben to tell him who was gunning for him already. Like, that's like, I got to give Boss and Rob a lot of credit there. In the first half of the episode, he's like, hey, Ben, 
Who's voting for me? Tell me who's voting for me. And right away, Ben just gives up. He gets completely flabbergasted. So that was amazing to watch. So something that I think is very interesting is, as you mentioned before, these a lot of these new players looked very shook. Like, are, like Jordan, are you, are you surprised that, that Ben just caved in right away? And he even alluded to it in the confessional. He's like, why did I do that? Like, I was so starstruck by Boston Rob that I just spilled to him everything that was going on. Yeah, that kind of blew me away because I'm a big Boston Rob fan, and I think that he's obviously one of the greatest to ever do it. But I never really took into account how good he was at getting people to just tell him the truth. And the mind games he plays and just being super direct is something that I completely discounted because he got Ben to talk like a little schoolgirl and spill his mouth and gossip about who was saying his name. It was incredibly impressive and he had the same effect on Danny who was running her mouth and wanted to get him out right so while all this is happening obviously Ben spills the beans and it was like it's very funny because in Ben's season season 35 heroes versus uh heroes uh hustlers whatever it was yeah Yeah, what uh but season 35 Ben was always so confident and you never saw him slip up like that that was really the first time I've ever seen Ben like so unsure of himself but one of the reasons why I did pick Ben not to go as far in this game is because I didn't know how he would do socially with a lot of these old school players. Um, and it looked like he did recover pretty nicely in the end. But look, we'll, we'll find out in the future. But anyway, you had this old school alliance beginning to form, which is like from a, from a super fan's perspective, that's exactly what you wanted. You get Rob um, aligning with Parvati and Ethan and Danny. And then you're like, wow, it's old school versus new school right off the bat. Time out, time out, time out. Are we really calling that a super alliance? We really, we really mentioning Ethan and Danny in the same conversation as Boston Robin Parvati. I mean, it seems like a pretty one-sided, quote-unquote, super alliance. Well, well, listen, I called it an old-school alliance. You called it the super alliance. The I do the, agree the with super you. the super alliance is Robin Parvati because that was the first alliance. They obviously need people to go along with them. That's the super alliance. All right. Fortunately, we do have this recorded because you said the super alliance was the four of them. I do agree with you. It is very cool from a fan perspective to see the new school versus old school really battling it out from the get-go. But I have to say you are incorrect on this one. Ryan, am I, am I wrong or right? Ryan? No, I, I'm just going to point out the fact that this is, <laughs> that this is what the fans want to see. An old school alliance of Ethan getting back with Rob. They played together in All-Stars. If you had told me a year ago today that I would see Parvati and Rob on my screen and they would align together after Parvati takes out Rob and Heroes versus Villains, I would have said you're crazy. And like Rob says, you know what? I'm wiser. The old school players aren't going to get shaken by someone throwing their name out. They're going to say, look, you told me the truth. I can trust you. We are old school. We're not as frenetic as these young kids are. We know what a good alliance can do in this game. Let's just roll forward old school. So as we'll see in both tribes in this two-hour premiere, old school is running it on both sides, which is really awesome to see. I'll rephrase to make Hef happy here. Mm. Rob and Parvati are the super alliance. The other two, plus them, is the old school alliance. But now we'll move on because because they the the show um, panned back to the other camp, the winning tribe, uh, the red tribe, and it has that moment where you know Amber had a little bit of screen time and she was looking for the idol, and you really thought you're like, oh, is she gonna do it? Is she gonna do it? And then mm-hmm. I I thought she was gonna find it. She didn't end up finding it. But other things that were going on. 
at camp is you have Sandra and Tony, who obviously have a history back from season 34 in Game Changers, where Sandra voted Tony out and they were going at each other right from the back. They did bury the hatchet. They kind of said, you know what, it's a new game. And Tony, surprisingly, was very, very calm, at least throughout that first part of camp. Yeah, I got to say, and I, I feel like as we, like you said, Dylan, we'll, we'll go through the episodes and at the end of the podcast, we'll kind of go over like a little stock watch of, you know, who's looking up, who's looking down, how, how are we feeling about some people. This was a good episode for Tony. I think we heard about this in Tony's pregame videos that he realizes, look, Kageon, I was cool and calm. I was trying to build these relationships, game changers. I was like a bat out of hell. I was flying everywhere and it got him voted out second. And now he reverts back to cool, calm and collected. And we see Tony doing a really good job this episode. So I really got to say good job, Tony. Hef, Hef is the biggest Tony standout here, so I want to hear what you thought of Tony's, at least beginning, um, at this point. I'm conflicted on this one, I gotta say, because it just doesn't sit right with me. This is not the Tony I know and love, this calm, cool, collected guy who only is interested in talking and strategizing and not sprinting around the forest like a madman. That being said... We know Tony's my boy. I want him sticking around as long as possible, and I think that he's going to have to remain this kind of anybody-but-me strategy in order for him to stick around and get that airtime that I want to see. So there are two sides of the coin here. We'll see how it goes, but for now, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it's definitely something to monitor with the way Tony is playing. Um, I have to give him credit for you know, the way he was composed in these first couple these first couple of episodes. But something else that I want to talk about that happened right after this was the idea of what was called an outsider's alliance between Yule, Sophie, Nick, and Wendell, players who had were all players who had only played once and players who maybe didn't have as many connections or if any connections at all. And they were, you know, strategizing a lot. I really want to shout out Yule, who just looks so he looked so calm, cool, and collected at every single time he spoke. Never seemed panicked at all. Always seemed so calculated with every one of his decisions. It was really, really incredible to see. That was easily my favorite part of this two-hour premiere, seeing Yul Kwan back after 27 seasons and 13 years ago. He has his finger on the pulse of the game. He knows where the people are aligned. He knows who to go after. He realizes, hey... I'm a one-time player with no connections. So is Nick. So is Wendell. So is Sophie. Let's make an alliance. Let's pull in Sarah and Sandra, who can go either way technically. And you have this poker alliance of, you know, Kim and Tyson and Rob and Amber and Jeremy and by proxy Natalie. Like, let's get them out and let's make an outsider's alliance. It's the right move to do. And I was just floored by how good Yule has done coming back after all this time. I always said I said in this episode throughout the whole time that you I, I tweeted it also that you kind of looked like the meme where the guy has all the numbers flying mm-hmm. in front of his face. He just like the way he calculates things, math and game theory, as he calls it, just very very interesting. I love Yule. I did not really appreciate how smart he was in his in the first season I watched that he won, but he's a beast. Uh, just slowly, subtly name dropping game theory and how he used that to win in his first season, incredibly impressive. I guess he's really good at reading people and using, uh, I guess, I guess he uses math and economics to be able to make the decisions that go further, that that further him in the game. And you could clearly see he was not overly calculated, but everything he did in this first episode alone was very measured and I think could propel him going forward. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, 
you know, Yule, Yule is a great player, and I think that he does have a very good chance to go far in this game. Um, mm. But now we pan back to what was the Blue Tribe um, at the end of this episode where they were about to go to Tribal, and again, you have complete chaos. It's looking like lines are starting the form a little bit. You have Adam and Denise or Natalie and Jeremy, as Natalie and Jeremy played together in 29 and connected right off the bat, so they were seen as a strong pair. Um, and honestly... Survivor editing did a very, very good job of making it seem like you had no idea who was going home at all. And I really thought a lot of scenes were funny where like the there would be like people gathering in the woods and they were like, so it's so it's Adam. No, it's Denise. And they they were like, oh, wait, so we're good. And like they everyone was so unsure. Everyone was so frazzled. It was really a crazy environment. Um, But then there was that moment also where Parvati and Rob looked like they were just sitting pretty and safe. And they were sitting there like, how is nobody targeting us? And it's something that I don't think all three of us, maybe anybody watching, expect it to happen. It blew my mind to see that the two people who were probably in the best spots in that tribe was Boston, Rob, and Parvati. I mean, Parvati said, she's like, are these guys, are they just, you know, cautious? Are they scared? Are they stupid? I don't know what they are. And it's pretty clear these these new players were just too paralyzed to throw out a name. And I listen, I can understand where they're coming from because – to throw out a name and have it come back to you, it puts you in the headlights and it's super scary. I mean, we saw that happen in 34 with uh, Sierra Easton, where she was the first one out because all she said was, oh, maybe we can get rid of um, Malcolm first or Tony first. And then right away she was gone. Like you throw out a name in these all winter seasons and you're seen as the schemer. So I can understand why, you know, Ben and Michelle and um, I think that the third person there also were saying we're not really sure who to pin down. But Parvati and Rob, they're experts. They're like, look, just pick a name. We're going to go with it. We're not going to second guess. Let's just go with the flow. And they, they were running it. Yeah, yeah, that kind of strategy did come back to haunt Sierra Easton. And something interesting that I thought that why they targeted the Denise and Adam and the Natalie Jeremy combo was that they both had strong connections right off the bat in this tribe. But if you're worried about the connections, how are you not talking about Boston Rob more? How do you let him just get his name completely tossed out of the conversation? Because his wife is on the show. Yeah, he's not, he's not, she's not um, in the same tribe, but how do you completely forget about the fact that his wife is on the show and that he has the strongest connection on there, let alone the fact that he's probably the best player on, the, on there? So I, th- I think a major theory behind this is that like Tony, obviously Tony's on the other tribe, but he mentioned that his, his way he looked at it was Amber could be dealt with later. She's in a huge pair. Everyone knows they're the huge threat. You know, we could get rid of them later. I'm wondering if maybe, look, maybe some of the new school players were just intimidated by Boston Rob. It looked like Ben was, but at the same time, I wonder if some of them are saying, look, everyone knows Boston Rob is a threat. Let's just take the easy vote now. I I, I really don't know what to make of it, and we'll probably learn more about it next episode. I think that it's a little bit different because Tony is, I, in my opinion, at least a top three threat on the show right now. And somebody like, I don't know, Adam or Ben isn't going to say, hey, I need Boston Rob as a shield to get me further because I need to survive every single tribal I can. Um, I think that they're honestly just scared of him and that he did a pretty good job intimidating them and making sure that they didn't vote for him. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be impressive to see, I guess, almost Rob's evolution in this game because he, you know, completely controlled 22 and now he's back where he was in Heroes Villains where he's seen as a threat. He's kind of got to scramble every single minute of this game. Yeah, I mean, Rob's in a good spot right now, just like he was in Heroes versus Villains. But 
and we'll get to the tribal in a second, but as we see it at the start of episode two, all it takes is a few people on the bottom to make a flip and then, and then you're in the hot seat. So it really could happen at any time, but yeah, going into this tribal, it really was a question of Adam and Denise or Jeremy and Natalie. And I think you guys brought up a good point that, you know, Rob, you could take out at any time just cause he's a huge threat. He's your meat shield. Um, he's good at challenges as we saw. So keep Rob around for a bit. You can cut him loose. Adam and Denise are like an easier vote because they went off alone, but then you have like the middle votes. Like you don't go with the easiest vote and you don't go with the hardest vote in Rob. You go with like the middle, like Jeremy and Natalie are great players and they're, they're never going to turn against each other no matter what. So I feel like it was a good move for the tribe as much as I hated to see what happened. Yeah. So I think another thing, what I I'm wondering here, I actually thought Adam was going to go home. Obviously, then there was something like moment at Tribal where a few people were very uneasy because they, they kind of realized that Rob and Parvary were like controlling the vote and they didn't really know what was going on. But I'm wondering why target Natalie over Jeremy. I um, I think it's a good question. I think that Rob obviously was the one who was in charge of this flip. Rob probably – they play poker together. Rob probably sees Jeremy as a closer ally than Natalie. And also Jeremy's probably better at challenges. So I think Rob is like, look – they're both threats. I'll cut one of them loose. I probably can rope Jeremy back in. Natalie could go work with the girls, possibly. I'll just take her out. I think it could have been either one of them. But I do agree, Dylan. I think I was thinking Adam was gone until Jeremy looked Parvin Rob in the eye. And the minute they wouldn't meet his gaze, I was like, that's it. Because if you can't meet someone's look on Survivor and you can have to look away right away, you can't trust them right away. So that's when I knew they were in trouble. Ryan with the most profound insight of the podcast. Give it up for give it up for Ryan. Seriously, it, I will say it's it's not an original take, but it's one I do subscribe to. That whole soundbite was incredible. We may we may have to take that take that soundbite and put it on social for uh, for the promo for this uh, podcast. You never know. But okay. I want to move on. I want to move on. So Natalie goes to Edge of Extinction. She obviously gifts the fire token to Jeremy, which was expected. Um, and I now I want to move on to uh, episode two here. Um, so the episode two starts out and you have the outsider alliance is looking strong. You know, it's showing them again. It's really kind of playing up that outsider alliance and, you know, you don't really know, but maybe this is the foundation of something that could last for a very long time. Um, that's why they have, they have been talking about it a while. Um, you will again playing a very, very strong game. I have a question. So who's in the outsider alliance again? It's Yule, Nick, who else? Yule, Nick. Sophie and Wendell because you and Sophie got together and they said look we both played once we don't have a lot of connections let's just get the other outsiders together and I think that this alliance could hold for a while I think it was setting up this eventual vote out of the poker alliance it could last for a while but I also think you and Sophie are very savvy players they could flip very easily if they wanted to next week very good job by Yule to really start this poker alliance narrative so everybody so everybody was scared of everybody involved in that. Very, very smart by Yule. I, I, that was probably my favorite flashback of the whole thing. Like you had flashbacks to the other seasons and then you have just some random poker game where you have all those guys, the strong players all sitting at the table and it you're like awesome. Yule just what really, really genius move. I, I had a feeling he knew he was gonna play that one up right away once he got onto the island. But um yeah. Um, I, I think the way I think the the concept of the outsider alliance is genius, and in fact, I think that all the people who played, who played and may have connections and are maybe stronger players, they they need to form their own alliance as well, and that's how I think they have to counter that um, outsider alliance. But as Yule said, or somebody else said, I believe it was Yule, but I could be wrong. 
nobody seemed to recognize that the outsider alliance was a thing. Yeah, I mean, again, your eyes are on Sandra, your eyes are on Tony, you see Amber with Kim and Tyson. And yeah, I mean, you don't really think that Nick and Wendell are scheming because that they didn't really do that in their early on initial season along with Sophie and Ewell. And they're getting together. It's a great camouflage. You can pull in more numbers. Um, I thought they were playing really well. Uh, and it's actually interesting. We heard the first term from Sophie today. You know, we hear of meat shields, a Jeremy coin. We now hear of, uh, what she call? She calls it like a mental shield or, or, or like a... Uh, she called it a nerd, ner- a nerd, nerd shield. Nerd, it was nerd shield. Yeah. So I feel like, I mean, she's right though. I mean, I love Yule. I think Yule's playing great and Yule's set up well. But yeah, I mean, you, you never want to be the tallest bamboo stick. Like once that one gets cut off, the next tallest one's going to get cut down. So as long as... Yule is um as long as Yule's still in the game, Sophie's got a shield. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second, Ryan. Yeah. Having shields is a great concept. I'm with you on that. But was what Sophie said really true? Is she is she really a tall bamboo stick, as you said? She's like the most medium-sized bamboo stick there is. She is not that smart. She's not that good in challenges. She's like she nobody is gonna ever use her as a shield for any kind of purpose. She's very, she's a very mad person on the show, and I thought that her saying that like she needs those kind of shields was the biggest exaggeration of all forty seasons. Let me say that right now. So I actually want to bring. I was going to say something very similar to what Hef said. She did say she did you know bring up shields, and I think if you're Sophie, you have to be a little bit more self aware in the situation. You have to know that there are people who are going to be seen as bigger threats as you. And but if I'm Sophie, I'm trying to blow up the games of all the better of all the players that are, you know, seen as superior to me rather than, you know, kind of keep all of them around because it's, it's, it's different when you're Tony's level and trying to keep everyone around or Rob's level and trying to keep everyone around. But is that really the best strategy for somebody like Sophie? I'm probably as big of a threat to everybody else on that Island that Sophie is. They're probably <laughs> as scared of me than they are as they are of her. Am I wrong there, Ryan? Ryan, what do you, what do you think of this whole idea? I mean, I actually disagree a little bit. I mean, I, I'm a little bit higher on Sophie than you guys are. Um, I do. I think that in her original season, she made it far because she is a smart player. She was able to help coach keep their alliance together. And I think that, yeah, I mean, if you look at the board of who's a social threat, who's a strategic threat, and who's a physical threat, she would fall into that strategic category. So, look, I mean, if Yule happens to get voted out in three, in three tribals from now – and then for some reason, Tyson pulls everyone else together and is targeting now the outsiders. I think between Wendell, Sophie, and Nick, I think Sophie's a big threat because she can be strategic. And Sophie, actually, people forget, she won three challenges in her original season, also knocking out Ozzy, but she had the most individual wins. So Sophie can win these endurance challenges. I know people always think about big guys as big physical threats, but once you leave past the tribal phase of this game... You get into endurance, you get into balance, you get into puzzles. Sophie is going to be a big threat in those future challenges. I know Hef, she's not your biggest, like, um, she's not the biggest fan in terms of the early game, but in later games, she's going to crush these challenges. So I think she does have a point here that if Yule goes or if other shields around her go, she could be next. So I think we should give her a little more credit for right now, but I want to see how this plays out. All right, let's take note of this comment. I will win as many challenges this season that as Sophie will. We'll see what happens, but we do have to move on. We could talk about it. We could talk, we could debate this all day, but we have to move on. So we have, then you have that small, before they pan to edge of extinction with Natalie, you have that small moment where it looks like Ben and Michelle 
they they want to take out the old, old school players. They're very, very intimidated. They were kept out of the vote. And it looks like the old school players are very, very composed. And they're all, you know, frantic right now. They want to work with Jeremy. They want to work with um, Adam and Denise. And they want, to, they want to try and work to get to get those players out. And that's something we'll have to monitor going forward. But I do want to go right to Edge of Extinction here. Edge of Extinction is going to be absolutely nothing like it was two seasons ago. And that's very good. Yeah, I'm, I listen, I know Jeff likes what he likes. Jeff is obviously the, the producer, he's the host. A lot of what he says goes. And I know that Jeff is a big fan of Edge of Extinction because he believes that not only will it let people tell their stories, it shows how far people are going to push themselves. And people like Reem, who was out first, I mean, you get to see a character that we never would have saw if they were out first. Now, granted, I don't like Edge of Extinction. Did did Oh, is that's that... Reem. Did <laughs> <laughs> listen dude i don't want to hear it the water's over there um but, but, but no i think that jeff back jeff always does like to hear people's feedback and he knows that people thought edge of extinction while it's a good story builder it's boring to watch for the viewers at home for the people there it's a huge story thing but for the viewers at home it's not very engaging so i think he's like look how do we bring this back and make it more cerebral Let's bring some fire tokens, a currency where you can exchange your tokens outside the game to get an advantage to get back into the game yourself. And it really is more convoluted. Natalie is playing the game with all these advantages, as we see with the idol she picked up. But I do think if you're going to have Edge of Extinction, this is a better way to do it. Although, all that being said, Jeff confirmed in an interview a few days ago that due to the feedback, Edge will take a decent season break after this. But... um. Yeah, cool. Let, I think we should just get into uh, Natalie on Edge of Extinction a little bit more. You know, she had to search what looked like a ginormous island, probably bigger than, I think, bigger than last season, um, where they were, she basically had to find a needle in a haystack. She was, you know, the she had the riddle, but she had to go find what was that idol. Um, and she was, able to gift, she was able to gift it to somebody. And does, let's be clear here, does she get the fire token that, does she get the fire token that Sandra had to pay for the idol? Yeah. Right. Yes, so, yes. right. Yeah. So basically, every podcast I think will do a very quick like uh, token tally to see where the tokens are. But yeah, so Sandra had to use her one token in the game to buy that idol. So currently, um, t- technically, Jeremy and Rob have two idols. Um, Amber tokens. and yeah, tokens. Yeah. Sorry. What did I say? You said idols. <laughs> oh, I, God forbid that many idols. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Jeremy and um, Rob have two tokens. Natalie, Amber, and now Sandra, because she bought the idol, have zero tokens. Everyone else has one token. Um, but yeah, I think it's a cool concept of selling advantages to get more tokens. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Right. And the next, we're going to move into... Time out, time out. Oh, you have a Can thing. I make a quick shout out? Natalie climbing that mountain and finding that needle in the haystack of the fire token, or the way to, or the idol to buy the fire token reminded me of the movie Holes, where Stanley Yilnats had to carry Madame Zeroni up the mountain. That is my comments. Considering I haven't seen Holes, I have nothing more to add. I did, I did also read... Also a good book. I did read the book, but probably like 15 years ago, so I don't really remember it. But moving to what was maybe even a more epic challenge based on the way it ended than the first one, 
that challenge was ridiculous. Not only because just the length of it, where you had to row all around, you had to collect, you had to untie, and then you had to row back, and then you had to get over an obstacle, and then and dive in, and then you had to get yourself over that crazy spinning thing that it seems like the Red Tribe. And again, we don't really know. Tri- we we are not in tune to the tribe names yet, so we're just gonna go with Red and Blue for here on out. I actually do have it. Um, in case we remember it, Red is Dakal and Blue is Sele. So, so call they were easily able to get over. They had a huge lead. And then at this point, Blue kind of looked like they were, you know, going to, uh, Blue or Sele looked like they were going to catch up. And all of a sudden, Rob just like turned back the clock like 10 years and just literally put the entire team on his back. And when I mean literally, he actually had every single member of that tribe get on his shoulders. And then they just, they basically just start throwing everybody over and, and it was it was one of the most it was one of the more remarkable challenge scenes we'll probably see all season. I'll, I'm I'm willing to say that it was incredible to watch. It's actually a funny reference that everybody was making on Twitter, where when Rob won a challenge on Redemption Island, he was wearing the shirt that had Amber and the kids on his back. So when he was carrying up the last piece of wood for the challenge, Jeff was like, he's literally carrying his family on his back. So in this challenge, we he's literally carrying the tribe on his back. Um, so Rob's not only got to do the challenges himself, he's got to do the strategy himself. Rob goes full Thanos and says, I have to do it all myself. So Boston Rob has still got it. After four kids and after how many years, Boston Rob has still got it. it that, I absolutely love that. And then I just like, you got that sense that like, maybe, maybe, you know, Wendell and Tyson missed a few of the shots and you're like, maybe they could get back in it. And then Adam struggled with the lock and you're like, nah, maybe not. And then came Jeremy, who puts the team on his back just like Rob did. Yeah, and, and this is why I love these um this is why I love these challenges. I think as you get into the later game of the puzzles and the uh endurance, the person who wants it will get it. The person who earns it will get it. I like how in these first few challenges, granted if it's like the physical water slaughter that we saw earlier, like the one who fights the hardest is gonna win. But in these challenges where you have these carnival games at the end, it's up for grabs, and I think it makes actually really great TV. So I'm glad it wasn't like Sele was out of it the whole time. There was no shot. I'm glad they had a chance to come back with this type of carnival-esque thing. And just to see Jeremy have that moment, I'm sure, like, I, I know in, in our in our living room, in our apartment, we were all going crazy when that happened. I'm sure that was the scene across many living rooms across America watching that. It was awesome. It, and Jeremy probably solidified his spot on the tribe. He, uh, he earned his spot back from being the... Uh, Maybe the next person out after his biggest ally and Natalie was just voted out. So big ups for Jeremy on that one. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely huge. And so so they they basically have the huge come from come from behind upset to win immunity. Thank God for them. That it would have hurt to have two two men down early. And now oh, wait, you have oh, wait. we have one more thing to note. This is Denise's first immunity team immunity win. Denise has oh, never me. won it. Wow. Because remember, they said, they pointed out in the, in the flashback, Denise went to every tribal council. To be fair, actually, Denise won one individual immunity her first season. But, like, in terms of tribe immunity, this is Denise's first time not going to a tribal council. So everybody was going crazy about that. Let's go, Dean. Yeah, props props to her. Um, but now we have, we panta a uh, camp where, what, what what is the red tribe? Say that again. The call. The call. Sele is blue. The call. So the call, you almost see the chaos break out at first that did in the in the in the Sele camp the night the a few days earlier. 
and you get people scrambling, scrambling. You don't know who it's going to be. And then it becomes very, 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 very clear that there are three people on the outs here. It is that poker alliance, quote-unquote, where Kim is on the outs, Amber's on the outs, and Tyson's on the outs. And then you have also Tyson looked like he threw Tony's name out. And then all of a sudden, you got, like, Tony just kicked into gear. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to play now. And then you, then you had him running, running around a little bit more. But once we actually got into it, those were clearly the three on the outs. Poor Kim. I feel bad for her. She plays one game of poker. Now pretty much her season is ruined. It was it was actually a bit humbling to see Kim Spradlin on the outs on the bottom. I mean, Kim ran her she Kim ran circles around her first season and ran everybody. Granted, I mean, this is what happens when the playing field's a lot tougher. Obviously, when you have all stars, it's gonna be harder to win. But seeing Kim on the outs for once was shocking to see. And I did think, Dylan, that Tyson was in trouble at one point because you know, Tony's like, hey, he brought up my name. I'll bring up his name. Amber could have been a really easy misdirect. So I felt going into that trial that Kim was actually safe. When they pulled the first three votes, I was like, she's fine. Um, I was thinking it was Amber or Tyson. So, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Amber Mariano also. Yeah. <laughs> you got to add the last names now that Ryan, Ryan's pulling out all of, his, uh, all of his last names here on this podcast. But uh, I, I don't try to. It, it, honestly, it slips out. Oh, I'm not even oh. trying to. <laughs> I'm not even trying I to like it's a great it. Just, I really it do. Out sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I did feel bad for Kim. It was like she was pretty much hopeless. Like she just had to pray it wasn't her. And ultimately, Amber just had too big of a target to, I guess, overcome in the fact that she did have Rob on the other tribe. And, you know, pro- you know, I that that's just it was it was almost it was an easy vote. I will all. deem that an acceptable vote. It should have been Sandra. I was screaming at the TV, what are you idiots doing? This person's won two <laughs> times. Do not give her a third. But I will give that an acceptable vote. Amber should have been the second option because her husband's in the game. So I will give that a B grade. <laughs> well, two quick things I will say about Sandra is that I'm actually sh- very happy and shocked because I'm more of a uh, purist in a sense. Like I don't love a ton of advantages. I don't love... You know, you know, five idols in the game, a legacy, a vote steal. I prefer as little of that as possible so we, people can just play the game. Um, so the fact that in these two hours we only saw one idol and it came from Edge of Extinction, it wasn't actually in the game at all, and Sandra has it. It was cool. And like you said, uh, Jordan, it was like, yeah, Kim had a fight for herself, but it was like she, she didn't have an idol to maybe save herself. Kim, Tyson, and Amber were literally at their mercy, which was shocking to see in season 40. Usually we see... Oh, there's always an idol to save somebody. But I think it was kind of cool how we only saw Sandra have the one idol. And um, yeah, no, I think, again, I think Sandra, again, I'm more, I'm higher on Sandra than Hef is. But I do think that we saw Sandra play very low-key in Pearl Islands and Heroes vs. Villains. And I think now that she's won twice, she has, like, that confidence. So in Game Changers and now in um, Winners at War, we've seen her play a lot more, you know, gung-ho and cutthroat. So I, I love to see it. I think... Um... One thing that needs to be pointed out is what like like we'll see who wins who ends up winning the season. But in terms of just like you really know when a, when a player is great is when you expect them to have such a big target on their back, and they seemingly go through these first two episodes where each each tribe goes to tribal. They seemingly go like unscathed, almost unnamed. You saw Robin Poverty, although Rob was named a little bit at the beginning. Robin Poverty pretty much escaped through comfortably, and then Sandra. Sandra always finds a way to get through, like get 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 through at least. You know, obviously the only time she's voted out was game changer, but she always finds that like that way that she just ended up in 
the ultimate power position in this episode where it seemed like she was she was giving information to everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. seemed to think that Sandra was on her was on their side. How is no one catching on to that? She, every time someone tells her something, yeah. she goes and blabs about it, and that's and people are like, "Oh, Sandra's doing her thing where she's telling us." Is how is that a good quality of hers? You can't trust someone like that. And and at the at, at the same time, she gets the idol right at the same time, so she's even in more of a power position. Get her out of here. She's she's even in more position. Get her out of here. And she has. The next two tribals are the only time she could play it. So she's probably going to be safe for the near future. And one thing that I do think is that Natalie strategically gave it to her, maybe to, if she gets back in for Bond, knowing that she would be going against Boston Rob. I, I don't know. I think maybe that's what she... she... Oh, I, my thinking there was that um, maybe she knew that Sandra would be one of the earliest targets. And she's like, hmm, who can I give on this tribe that is going to need it the most? And she, I guess defaulted to Sandra being one of the biggest targets so that Sandra would be the most likely to want to buy the idol for the first three tribal councils. That, that's a, that's pro, that's a very smart theory, actually. I will give that the second best insight. Of the <laughs> Can we agree on that, Ryan? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's just, it's going to be very interesting to see the evolution of the fire tokens just because like, right. Like that could have been Natalie's strategy. We don't really know, but it's going to be interesting to see what, other players do with that going forward i wonder if there will be an option to do that every single episode that if somebody finds that somebody on the edge of the extinction will find an idol every episode and then be able to sell it to somebody still in the game i don't think it's going to be idols because there would just be too many idols i just think that was the purpose of maybe not having an idol at camp and having it out there um Mm -hmm. and we don't for sure know that there wasn't an idol at camp and that maybe just nobody found it but they i think that there will definitely be a fair share of advantages it's it's almost like island of the idols where like there wasn't Island of the Idols every episode. There wasn't a huge advantage every episode that they went, they went there. But like some there, some episodes they were there were huge advantages. Like I think it's just going to depend on the point of the game. But yeah. we're definitely going to see some interesting things coming from Edge of Extinction. And now I want to move to just while we wrap things up here, I want to talk about what we just expect maybe next episode going forward in terms of our predictions. Hef, do you have anything you want to say about this that you expect going forward next episode? I hope Sandra's voted out. We all know that. <laughs> I have nothing against her, but I do have something for good gameplay, and I would just be so disappointed by my winners in Season 40 if they fail to get Sandra out. That's assuming that her tribe loses. If her tribe wins, you better get Boston Rob out, people. What are you doing? He's not as big of a threat because his wife is out, but still, Boston Rob is Boston Rob. One question I have about the power that Sandra has right now. Is her idol play? Could her idol be played at the next two tribal councils that she goes to, or is it just the next two in general? I think it's no, just. I, no, I actually think it's the opposite. I'm pretty sure it would be too powerful if it only works if it's her tribals, because then if she keeps winning, she never has to use it. I'm actually pretty sure I remember from a past season that it's the next three tribals in general, I think. So, so, so if she wins these next two immunity challenges, I think it goes away, I think. So that could happen, or you never know if she, maybe she gives somebody in the chat. Like you never know what could happen here. You really, you really don't. Um, there's, there's just so many possibilities. Whether she, uh, she could. We, we have a little bit of an accident over I here. I almost fell over in my seat. Yeah, but uh, I was trying to keep it quiet. <laughs> but uh, you never know what, whether Sandra can maybe give it to the losing tribe. Like I, I don't know what could happen if it's only the next. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't really know. But there's, there's just so what, what's so fascinating about this season is there's just so many different directions that things could go. 
Um, I'm very curious to see if Rob and Parvati kind of stay running the show on that drive. Yeah, I mean, I, again, we could try to talk about what's going to happen next week. I think that in this winter season, the the wind can change directions at any time. So, yeah, we see Parvati and Rob running Sele. Uh, we see Ewell and the Outsiders and technically Sandra running um, DeCal. That could change next week if Ben and Michelle want to pull in Jeremy M and Denise and make a flip. I think anything can happen. I don't think there's a tribe swap next episode because we would have seen that possibly. But um, all I will say is if the dynamics stay the same right now, you're, we're looking at Kim and Amber. I'm sorry, Kim and Tyson on the outs and they got to make a flip. And then on Sally, we got to see Jeremy work his way back in. Does Parvi and Rob stay on top or do they fall to the bottom? We'll see. Yeah, there is a lot to watch for. Um now that we're wrapping things up, I just do want to announce that we tentatively have a special guest on next week. I'm going to keep that as a surprise for now. Um, we'll announce that very soon. Um, it is a returning player. It is not a returning player. It is a former player. Um, and in addition, we will be live tweeting every single episode from here on out. So if you don't already, you could follow us on Twitter at Soul Survivor Pod. Grab your torches. Head back to camp. Good night.